0: Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. Uh, this is a, a a sort of a continuation follow-up episode. Things actually worked out pretty well because last week I rambled for 35 minutes and we didn't get to hardly any of your listener questions about episode seven. And then this week we didn't have a new episode. We played the um, episode of Bob and Weave, the Black Lives Matter episode, which um, several tens of thousands of you have downloaded and listened to, which we appreciate I Hopefully you guys uh, appreciated that content. Uh, I know we got a lot of nice feedback from it. Uh, but then we sat down and thought, what are we going to do for follow up? And Mike said, "Hey Bob, remember last week when you didn't answer any questions? Right, tons of material here, man. Right. So maybe we should answer those questions. So that's what we're going to do today. Again, thanks for listening to the BLM episode we did last week. Uh, meant a lot to us that we were able to use our platform to get the to, to to give Jordan a voice and let him speak on Black Lives Matter. Joined by Mike, who you just heard, and Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, hey, guys." And we're gonna get into your questions right after possibly a short break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates.
1: And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special.
0: From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion.
2: It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling
0: pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, before you get into the questions, at the at the risk of <laughs> rambling on again, I, I guess I want to talk about, I, I started to mention to you before we were on the air, Zach, um, but we kind of got interrupted before I got your thoughts on it. But one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, I, and I, I feel like the listeners that are on either side of this fence would be interested in at least the discussion, but one thing I've been surprised about is that there are a lot. I don't know what's a lot. I mean, there's probably a dozen people on the fan page out of, you know, a hundred thousand isn't a lot, but it seems like a lot. And some of them are long time listeners that are looking at this case and, and, and finding it, I won't say uninteresting, but the material we've uncovered in the last couple of weeks doesn't seem to be of any significance to a lot of people. And I've had, I've had a few people that have said like, I don't see any evidence that she's not guilty, and and I'm not. And in no way am I arguing that fact, but I'm just curious. It, it, you know, every once in a while, something just really is genuinely confusing, and this is one of those instances for me because as I'm digging into this and we're finding these things, I'm finding myself more and more inter- more interested than I thought I was going to be in this case when we started it. And I'm like, holy cow, like the, the case is not what it appeared. There's all these issues with the timeline. There's there's issues with not tracking down an alibi. There appears to be like a whitewashing of the report. Holy crap, she might actually be innocent. Or at the very least, you know, there were there was some fudging done to try to make her look more guilty. And so I'm just like full throttle, like I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to see, I I want to find a way, I want to, I want to track down the managers of CC's pizza and find out if they were ever spoken to by police. I want to find out, I want to find the receipt, I want to find the DNA lab test results, and and I want to actually narrow down this stuff to so we can bring it to a conclusion, and maybe we end up in the same place, but I don't know, I'm just, I, I, I really don't see a lot of evidence of guilt, I'm not saying I see you know, it's, it's hard to prove a negative, I don't see a lot of evidence of innocence either, but there's definitely some that's certainly being suggested by the evidence, but when people are saying I don't see anything to suggest that she's not guilty, I'm genuinely confused by that because as I'm looking at the case and what we're doing, keep in mind we haven't presented any defense yet we're only we've only discussed the state's case against her, but I'm looking at it like what evidence of guilt is there so i I'm curious your thoughts on kind of that I don't want to call a phenomenon, but whatever it is zach and, and, and where you fall into that spectrum.
1: Well, I, I think there's definitely some things that people are clinging on to, like the DNA. You know, that's a big thing. I think her emotional response to the murders, I think a lot of people have clung like clung to that as well. What do you mean by that? That she didn't react the way that most people think she should. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't upset. She she wouldn't she didn't talk about Lloyd. She you know what I mean? It was very Just based on what we see in the police reports. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I think maybe some people have been persuaded by some of the TV shows because all the TV shows that she's part of have only shown her guilt.
0: See, I haven't watched them.
1: Have you, have you watched them? I've only watched Snapped.
0: So it, now when you watch that, do you come away feeling like she's definitely guilty? I do. Okay. I mean, I, I definitely do. Because that could be a big part of it if there are people that have watched because I know how those programs work. It's called Snap for a reason.
1: Exactly. And And the problem with that is now knowing what we know from previous seasons like the sandra melgar case when right they, when they posed some of that and how how inaccurate some of it was mm-hmm. that i don't know how inaccurate this one was you know right. i can only assume that it is inaccurate at least some of the evidence that are pushing out are are the way they're portraying it and, and a
0: lot of times it's not necessary. i mean there was like the id discovery deadly women episode about mm-hmm. sandra melgar that was just 100 just false
1: and, and i think that's what i'm thinking not snap but that yeah. is what i'm thinking of but but, like, the snapped one, a lot of times
0: what I've found with those in other cases I've looked at, because this has come up before, is it's not always necessarily that they're, like, putting out false information. Mm-hmm. They're just only putting out – they're spinning it in a way and only putting out information that that supports the narrative that whoever their subject is snapped.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I think that could be persuading people into feeling this way as well,
0: right? I mean, and you have you've you've been leaning into the guilty side a little bit as as we've moved along. That's why I specifically wanted to address it with you. I mean, how do you feel? Where where are you at at this point in the investigation?
1: Yeah, I've I've definitely probably been leaning a little more towards that she's guilty, just because. I just have a hard time with some of the, the things that are very convenient with, with her blood and the cut and the bruise, you know, and, right. and some of the timeline stuff. Some of it is just too convenient for me.
0: What, what, regarding, I get it with the blood and stuff. What do you mean by the timeline being too convenient?
1: Well, like we talked about before, you know, clearly she was there. Right. And now we have witnesses saying she was there. So they they say she was there mm-hmm. and the, the whole like witnesses saying she left, but you know they didn't see anybody else either so that it couldn't say that well, she couldn't for come the back
0: man in the backyard wearing coveralls and gloves on an 87 degree day
1: okay you're you're accurate there mm-hmm. but that's one witness in the backyard saying that right but they have witnesses that say she was there but never saw anything else out the front or anything right so that doesn't say she couldn't have come back the the nap in the timeline which kind of fills in with like the same lividity evidence that we've already talked about mm-hmm. is very convenient to me yeah can,
0: can I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, before I lose track of my thought here, the, uh, the, the witness thing is something. Mm-hmm. So, cause somebody else on the fan page said something like specifically that, like nobody saw anything else happening except for just the one person in the backyard, almost identical to the way you just said it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's another one, like to me. So I think a, a lot of it is perspective and how we're coming into the case and it's a mindset. So every case, especially this stage of the investigation, when we start, I start at ground zero. Everyone has a presumption of innocence. I want to go through the investigation in the state's case to see if they can prove to me, you know, as I've always said a million times, any case against someone, if you put, if you apply time, technology, and attention to detail, if they have the right person, by doing that, the case should get stronger. Mm-hmm. So my first indication that maybe something is amiss here is that when you start looking closer. When th- when the state's case gets weaker, because it shouldn't work that way, you know, new technology, closer attention to detail, they have the right person. Should always keep point, and that's how we screen cases. Mm-hmm. And I see hundred of them a month where you start looking into it. It's like, nope, it's leading right back there. But re- so, but anyway, I- I'm starting. I- I'm walking through this process, assuming everyone is innocent unless there's evidence to prove otherwise. So in that case, I don't understand the uh, the position that well yeah but only one guy saw or only one person saw the guy in the backyard it's like well what does that mean if there it's, if there's if if it is somebody who was sneaking in to kill them then they would be making a conscious effort to not be seen I, I mean so I, I guess so what does that mean does that mean that we don't believe Dr Abalos or that she was mistaken you know three hours later when she was interviewed that she was mistaken that she had just seen this guy or five hours later that same day I don't. I don't see how anybody could dismiss that. Now, does that mean that's the killer? Not necessarily, but it's certainly a big lead. And then you compare that to how many people. It just. It 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 seems like not consistent to me. So you have one witness that very clearly sees this man in the backyard around mm-hmm. the time of the murders. And then if you look at well, how many people saw Deb there during the time of the murders, and the answer is zero. And I don't think that should be. Over. Now, does that mean she's not there? No. But if we're looking at her from a presumption of innocence standpoint, there's nothing to indicate that she was there. Minus the DNA, the blood that is there. But I mean, at that time. Okay. You know, you know, what was she there when they were killed? There's no evidence to indicate that she was. So then you look at she gives her her itinerary, right, that she she's there. Mom gets home. She leaves by 11 o'clock. She's at CeCe's. So then that's how you tear down an alibi. You start going, to look, OK, well, what witnesses do we have? Mm-hmm you know do are, are there any witnesses that can say nope that didn't happen because and there's not we have Mabel says I saw her walking outside by her car around ten fifteen you got Joe that says uh she was gone that morning definitely by noon Mabel comes home nope, she was definitely gone by noon all the other neighbors that saw her there earlier so we don't have any evidence and, and again not not necessarily say, saying that she's innocent I think we have a long way to go still, but it's like why are we not believing her that she says she was at CC's by 11 when there is zero evidence
1: contradicting that claim. Minus any witnesses saying that she was there. There's no receipt. There's no, you know what I mean? That's the one. Right. Hold well,
0: right. But if we're looking at a, a presumption of innocence standpoint. Mm-hmm. So she says, I'm, I'm at CC's at 11 o'clock. Show me the, and I'm not, not you. I'm just saying mm-hmm. like, you know, for, for me as an investigator, when I'm looking at, looking at the investigative file is show me the evidence that proves that's not true and are there any witnesses that say it's not true no nope. and and that's why i think that the you know the and i, I don't want to keep rehashing the same thing and we got a bunch of questions so i'm 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 trying to move fast but you know when when uh you know we we see there's nothing in the report about detective hardy going to 711 or going to ccs it's like man that's not because that you know the, that mindset i just described to you is the Basics of it, whether it's fire investigation, police investigation, are the basics of investigation. She made a statement. Mm -hmm. Your job is to either prove it or disprove it when we're talking alibi. And so you're right. We don't have proof that she was there, but we have one witness that says she was and zero that says she wasn't. And so that's a problem for me. And and again, that could mean she's guilty. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's an issue of fairness it's not it's not fair we we need a fair trial for everyone like i was saying last week you know so to say that well we're just going to assume she's sh- that she's lying because what there's no evidence to indicate she was now the blood evidence i get mm-hmm. 100% get you know, her blood's on the scene that is you know it's it's either part of the crime or it's the most inconvenient mm-hmm. unlucky thing ever and 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 to be and i'm with you that's the one thing that really that's really still sticks with me that's like man that's rough but then even with the blood evidence it's so i guess where i'm at what i'm saying let me back up is not that i don't get how somebody couldn't see that there's a possibility of her being mm-hmm. eh. i don't I don't know what i'm saying what i'm what well,
1: I'm, I, I get what you're saying and i and i even though i've been leaning towards her guilt there there are things that i can see there's no way that anybody can look at it and just say she's 100 percent guilty right because there there is enough question there right as to whether what's going on and my biggest holdup is the DNA, right? It's it, yeah, and so I guess where I'm at is what
0: I'm, what I'm trying to—I'm doing to do a terrible job of articulating—is I I'm looking at this case where we're at right now. The reason I'm super interested and excited to move forward with it and see what we uncover is because the picture of this case is very different than it was when we started, and we have a lot of questions that need answers. There has to be answers to these questions to prove her innocence or guilt to me. You know, like I need to know, did the Fort Worth PD crime lab test that DNA? Why don't we have the reports? We may find out, nope, they didn't actually test it or they tested it and it was hers, but there was some other reason they sent it to the lab, to the other lab or whatever. You know, and we find out, no, there is no there's no, there's nothing in, you know, for sure that was actually her blood there, I guess is what I'm getting at. Okay. Now we answered that question. We still have the question of why isn't it mixed with anyone? But like the the timeline thing, like right now I'm like, I have no evidence to, to suggest that she wasn't at CC's Pizza at eleven. Now maybe we dig in, find out. Oh no, here, yeah, the, here's the interview. They just for some reason didn't have the report. Maybe it comes in my subsequent open records request when you find out. Oh no, Hardy did go to CC's, and they check surveillance and she was never there. You know, the, so so I can just as easily fall back the other way. Mm-hmm. Okay, what I'm just saying is is for anybody to say, I don't see anything to prove she's not guilty, it's like, well, there's also nothing to prove she is guilty. If we're looking at this case, which is what we do, we're looking at this case from a a clean slate, ground zero, presumption of innocence, and we reached a place that I didn't necessarily think we were going to reach, which in my opinion is this could go either way. And we have to keep investigating to find out which way it goes. You know, somebody had made a comment, they're like, you know, yeah, I just I you know I don't see anything to point out that she's not guilty, and there's a you know thousands of other wrongfully convicted people. I think we need to move on to another case. It's like it's really up in the air right now. And what if she's innocent? What if she really is innocent? And we are, by the way, her last chance. The Innocence Project does not have the resources; that are not going to investigate this case unless we can investigate it and show them the way to get Deborah Parringer exonerated. That's why we're doing this, and it's just one person. But if she is innocent then we need to see that through. And also, same note, if she is guilty, we need to see that through. We need to let the Innocence Project move on to their next case if she's she's truly guilty.
2: All right, getting back around to these questions. Cindy wants to know if the numbers found in Paul's phone records can be tracked down to see whose numbers they are. That's something, and there's I didn't redact those because they're old
0: numbers. And I they're up on the website. And part of the reason I did that is because I'm hoping someone might be able to track that down. I use the reverse phone number resources that I have that I use through investigations all the time and didn't really have any luck with it. The the records didn't go back that, you know, they'll you know, they'll tell me this phone number belongs to this corporation and it belonged to them up to four years ago, and I don't have anything beyond that. So what what I would like to do, let, let me just do this anybody in the fort worth area you can shoot, shoot us an email through our website to ask about this but this is something actionable that we can do and we've done this before successfully in at eight's case and, and some other cases in the fort worth public library there should be a book there called the polk directory p o l k we use it a lot at the fire department and what it is is it, it's kind of like a phone book but there's different sections of it there's a section where everybody in a certain area is listed by Their last name. The next section is all the same names, but they're listed in order by their address. And the next section is the same list, but it's listed by their phone number. So you can go into that Polk directory and search out those phone numbers in a two, if they have still a 2001 Polk directory, which they should have. Now it was easier in Ed's case because we were in the city of Tyler, which is a much smaller place than Fort Worth, but that would be a great project if we can find 2001 who those numbers belong to, that would start, because that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to fill in gaps. We're trying to answer questions to figure out one way or another, is she innocent or guilty? And that's just a piece of the puzzle that needs to be filled in. Um, and it's not something I can do from here because that, that it's not going to be found online from what I could find so far, but it should be if we go old school and get into those books, we should be able to track down that number and see who it belonged to.
2: All right. Ashley says, what do you make of Brenda's constant tip-offs to the police? It's not uncommon for the perpetrator to insert themselves into the investigation. That's true.
0: Um, I don't want to jump to that conclusion, and I think I mentioned this before. I don't remember, but the other thing we had to keep in mind, you know, I think we, Zach and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, is two things. One, we I mean, it could be something as simple as Brenda doesn't like her sister, and it, and it could be motivated by the will. Their will was set up so that they both got fifty percent of the estate, and you know Brenda likely didn't and and or could have had nothing to do with these murders, but nonetheless now shes she's kind of estranged from her from her parents she doesn't she's not close to them now they're gone and now she's entitled to half of their estate but if there's there's something called the the slayer slayer law whatever it is essentially it means if you are convicted of killing someone you can't collect their life insurance or their or anything from the will you're you're negated from it, which would mean that Brenda would get all of it. So she could be motivated by money having had nothing to do with the crime. It's just like, well, it's just, if, if Deb gets locked up, then I get it. And then the other thing we have to think about is, or then there's always a possibility she genuinely thinks she does it, but it's pretty clear that she doesn't have any actual evidence that she does it. So that would just be a hunch. But the other thing is that we don't have transcripts. So we have to keep that in mind. Every single thing you see in that report, not just this report, any report, you have to take with a grain of salt. Because if I ask Zach, if I, if I say, Zach, do you think Deb could have done it? And he says yes. Then I might document in my report. Zach says he thinks Deb did it. Now that's a very different thing. If he says, "Listen, Detective Hardy, I think Deb did it," mm-hmm. as opposed to me saying, "Well, do you think she could have? Do you think she did it?" And he's like, "Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. I think she. I, I think she might have." Those are two very different things. We don't. We don't know. We don't know what questions were asked. We don't know how they were asked, and we don't know. Like I said, the rumors were going around, and I I hope people realize this. I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it again. Within three days of the murders, the rumors were going around the courthouse already that Deb was the main suspect in this murder. So Hardy already thought it was Deb, I think, from the minute he saw the cuts on her finger. Multiple cuts, one, two cuts, one finger. And and so you don't know what he said to Brenda. You know, if she's like, well… Who the hell killed my parents? And he's like, oh, I got to tell you, I, I think your sister did. And anything you can do to help me would would really would really help out a lot to bring her to justice. You know, now all of a sudden it doesn't seem so dark that Brenda is constantly calling in tips because the lead detective just told him that her sister did it. So just keep in mind, we, we just don't know. So so as far as what do I think about Brenda's constant tips, I, I don't really think anything of them. It's you know it's it's easy to read it and get a little irritated by all of that involvement, but there's just too many unknowns to have any judgment on it. I think
2: Jenny says regarding the man seen in the backyard who was described as wearing quote all blue from top to bottom as if wearing coveralls. The view of the backyard looks like there might be a meter on the back of the house. Could this be a water meter? If so, it appears that Fort Worth outsourced water meter reading in 2001. If you go to the Fort Worth website now they still do monthly water department readings at each residence. Is it possible that the man Dr. Abelow saw was a meter reader?
0: I think it's possible, but unlikely. For starters, you, one would certainly think that would be the first thing that Hardy would have looked into, you know, or one of the things he would have looked into, but you know, who knows with the, with the way this report's written. But the other thing is, I don't know what time they started doing remote meter readings, but I know that when I was in the fire department in 2001, They were doing it because we we had we had classes on it because they were talking about different electrical things and what to touch. Because, you know, when we go to a fire, you remember, Mikey, one of the first things you do is cut the utilities, pull the electric meter off, shut the, you know, the the water, not the water usually, but the gas, sometimes the water. If it's a sprinkler issue and they were showing us what to be careful for, because in, in, in our little town in 2001, they had remote transmitters on all of those meters. So like a truck would just drive down the road and read your meters. I don't know for sure if that's what's going on there. But if not, if someone's job is meter reading, so, you know, we're talking about the city of Fort Worth. There's, I don't know how many millions of houses there are in Fort Worth and, you know, for someone to be reading meters. Point being, this is not someone that's crawling in the sewer, fixing a valve, and then stopping to check a meter. It was somebody's entire job is to drive around walking house to house checking meters. It was the historical weather data says at ten o'clock in the morning that day was eighty seven degrees. I don't think that a meter reader would be wearing full length dark colored coveralls and gloves. It just it's just you you know when you see a meter reader at least around here you know in the summertime even when they're the ones that walk you know they're wearing shorts and t shirts or little polo shirts or something in the summertime if it's if it's hot out. And the other thing is uh, Don McElhaney uh, did some looking. And it looks like the water box was in front of the house by the sidewalk also. So so if you think about, you know, if it's water meter reading, those meters are in a box. You know, there, there's not a water meter on your house. You know, if you, if you live in the city like Zach where you're at now, mm-hmm. you know, there's an electric meter. There's a gas meter. There's no water meter on your house. They're in like a little like manhole. Like usually they're, they're rectangular and you open them up and you can look down in there and there's the meter. That's how they... Read the water meter, but again, in in Little Bridgman, of course, it's 2020 now. But mm-hmm. they just drive by, okay, to get that reading. So yeah, it doesn't seem like it was. It was probably somebody reading a meter. I don't think.
2: All right, Amy says, is there a possibility that Smitty was somehow implicated in the Fort Worth forensic lab debacle? It seems like they were aware of the issue at the time.
0: No, he wasn't. Uh, we have so this week we have uh, for our main episode. We have uh, Dr. Angie Ambers is returning. She's the DNA analyst we had on a couple of weeks ago. And after I sent her the reports and she's done a little more digging, she's got some new, somewhat shocking information she wanted to share. But anyway, through that conversation, I can tell you that, that you know, the issues seem to be isolated to the DNA testing in
2: the lab. Courtney says, is there any way for us to get the target footages or a report about them? I'm sure we can't get a hold of the footages. The only
0: way we could get a hold of the footage is if is if Hardy did actually get a copy of the video and didn't document it, then it would it should then still be somewhere in the file. And we don't know it, it we we know for a fact there were things left out of the file. So I know that I didn't get a full open records request the way that I was supposed to. So that would be the only way we could get a hold of the footage. Um the reports I just I filed in, as I mentioned last week, in my follow-up open records request, I cited elements from the report basically saying, you did not give me this document in my initial request. I know for a fact this document exists because of this. I am now specifically requesting this document for a bunch of things that I just sent out. So hopefully if it exists, we'll get it back. And also once, you know, Texas was opening up and now they're shutting back down. But, you know, that's the reason I want to go to. Fort Worth and just go into the district clerk's office and and go through the files personally.
2: Sarah says, why exactly do you guys think Deb seemed to be targeted by the police in the first place? As a physically unfit woman, she doesn't really fit the stereotype of a murderer. Was it really just the cut on her finger and the fact that she was there that day, or am I missing something?
0: Yeah, in my opinion, if Deb is not, well, either way. I don't think this was a frame job on her meaning there was they weren't out to get her. I don't think it was anything malicious towards Deb. I think that innocent or guilty what I see when I read through all the elements of Detective Hardy's investigation was is tunnel vision. I think that you know the you know right after the murders he goes and you know the next day and goes and talks to her. He already knows she was there. At that point the you know the, I don't know I still don't understand why they didn't Follow up on the guy in the backyard. But anyway, different, different subject. But he knows she was there. And then he shows up and she's got cuts on her finger. And I think at that point forward, he's like, oh, she did it. Also, I'm sure you mentioned the emotional response, Zach. Mm -hmm.
1: With her being, I was just going to say that with the knowledge that she's bipolar. Not
0: just bipolar. She's got bipolar depression. She's on a whole, whole medicine cabinet full of medications. Mm -hmm. So he may have read her affect as though she was disinterested or or you know, apathetic through the whole thing. But he may not have known that she was completely, you know, she's on, I don't remember all the drugs, but, uh, you know, the equivalent of taking antidepressants, Xanax, she's bipolar, she was taking lithium, I think. I mean, it, it, it's a, but, but that could have triggered the tunnel vision. Like, she's acting weird, and she's got cuts on her finger, and I know she was there that morning. I think she did it. You know, and I think from that point forward, whether she's innocent or guilty, it was not necessarily malicious. I think it was just I'm sure of it, it was her, and so I'm gonna build a case against her. It becomes malicious if some things that I suspect may have been occurring. It becomes malicious if say, let's say Hardy went and looked at the target surveillance footage. Now remember, she says she has a bandage on her finger. So let's just say as a hypothetical, it probably didn't happen, but Let's say he looked at that Target footage and saw, oh, here she is at 8 in the morning before she went to Agnes and Lloyd's. And she was at Target, like she said. And look, she has a bandage on her finger. Now, if he saw something like that and then continued to pursue her in the way that he did, I would say it's malicious. Or if he did go to CeCe's Pizza and they said, yep, here's the surveillance footage. Here she is walking in. In the same clothes you saw her that she was wearing in Target and there's no blood on her and she's walking in here at 11 in the morning, then again, I, you know, and he continued, then it would be malicious. But at this point, those things are all, all questions. I think it was just tunnel vision.
2: Jessica says, did Deb buy any food for her parents or did Agnes go somewhere besides the produce market? The report says Agnes purchased bananas, cherry tomatoes and relish, but one bag clearly has either full size tomatoes or apples in the crime pictures. That is another reason why I want that damn receipt. Because I I noticed and I've
0: seen discussions about this, but that could change everything. So if we have a receipt that shows exactly what Barbara Park said, that no, she only bought these three items, here's the receipt, and there are items in those grocery bags that aren't on that receipt, then that means she made another stop, which pushes the timeline back even further. But we don't know. It could just be she said that stuff and forgot that she bought. Apples or tomatoes, too. But we won't know unless we have the receipt. Regarding the receipt, I, I do want to point out, too, something that I was in a discussion with some folks on the on the fan page earlier this week. Uh, so in the, I think it was the Snapped episode, in that episode, Zach, you saw, did they mention the receipt in that one?
1: They do mention the receipt in that one. Yeah, so
0: that's where Officer Gas says that the receipt said she checked out from Park's Produce at 1120. I'm comfortable saying that's not what she checked out. And I don't mean that he's lying. I'm guessing some some people had to. And again, all we can do is we haven't seen the receipt. We don't know that that's actually the time. And all we can do is is hypothesize about when she got home. But if you base her chiropractor appointment what the chiropractor said what Barbara Park said, my guess is day. What we know is daylight savings time. The fall back was just a couple days. I think it was like the 28th of October. So was that five days before this? my guess is if i had to guess i would say that probably if that 11:20 time is accurate that you probably checked out at 10:20 which which would mean you know because if they just forgot you know the register they have the time right but they didn't reset the time to fall back that hour mm-hmm. it would be off by an hour and and that and 10:20 fits with the other witness statements so my my best best guess based on the information we have is that if that time is accurate, she probably checked out at 1020, which means, you know, give her a couple minutes after checking out to go out to remember her car is not there. She walked over there from the chiropractor. So now she's got to walk back to the chiropractor, back to her car. So say five minutes, that means she's leaving there at 1025. It's a 23 minute drive back, according to Hardy. uh, so that's what four so that would mean she would arrive home about 1048. You know, so as far as where we're at and our window of opportunity. That's the best. You know, it, it's it's sad to say that a TV show is our best evidence to track on the timeline right now. But as of right now, if that information is accurate, I would say that yeah, that she got home about ten minutes, twelve minutes before eleven o'clock, and and that you know we'll see where that goes from there. But that that's that's what I'm trying to look at in this timeline is when did Agnes get home? So when is the earliest the attack can start? Because that's critical importance. When could the attacks have started? And at what point do we know the Deb was gone?
2: Lynn says, Can you find further evidence from the forensic analysis of the Courtney's computer? They have to know what was printed. If the killer printed the note in advance, then wiped to remove fingerprints, but when Agnes went to nap, she turned it off for darkness or quiet, it could be a possible reason that only contained Agnes's prints. The, the computer was sent for forensic analysis. We have that breakdown
0: and the trial testimony of the computer forensic analyst. And so that's going to be part of next week's episode. I, I, haven't, I haven't got next week completely worked out yet, but just can give you guys a heads up. Again, this week we're going to have Dr. Ambers again. Uh, and then next week, there's a few things I want to cover. One is the handwritten notes of Detective Hardy to see how they compare to what he documented in his type report. And the other thing is the forensic analysis. And then I want to talk to one of our listeners also about the surveillance capabilities of Target in 2001. So uh, we will be getting into the computer forensics. If one of, one of the other two run long, then it may get bumped back a week. But that's that's coming up on the docket. And then, and then soon after that, I want to get into Deb's actual trial testimony.
2: Matthew says, can Bob cover his theory on how the suspect entered the home and left with both doors deadbolted and a car in the garage? Getting in, I don't know.
0: Could have walked in the garage. Typically, my understanding is the garage door was kept open when Agnes was home. So they could have just literally walked right into the garage. Could have knocked on the door nobody and nobody saw him. So who knows how they got there's, there's There's a bunch of different ways they could have got in. Getting out, I think, is pretty clear no matter who it was. And I think I've said this before. Whether it was Debbie or somebody else, it seems pretty obvious given the missing garage door opener that the perp walked out the garage door and hit the button. And that's how they got out. And that's why everything's still locked.
2: Dwala says how could it only be one perp and no blood mixed I think they were attacked at the same time which still confuses me with no blood mixed I don't I don't know how much
0: testing they did on the clothing with 2001 methods or 2002 methods as it were um because there could be blood mixed on like the shirts you know they they weren't doing Mbac technology they weren't you the know, point is we don't know for certain, that it's not mixed. I think there needs to be more DNA testing of things specifically of the clothes because with new technology, I think we could find, we almost certainly would find the killer's DNA on that clothing which could you know, answer everything. You find you know, Deb's DNA mixed in with their blood on the clothes. I know they did do some DNA testing of it, but I'd like to do it with new technology because whoever did it should have left blood behind and there could have been mixture there. We just haven't seen it yet. As far as how could it happen, if the, the pans broke, right? So, you know, say Lloyd gets attacked and he's beaten over and there's, there's blood on the pans and there's blood flying around. And then after he's down, the killer grabs another pan and goes in the other room and starts beating on Agnes with, with a different pan. And there wouldn't be much transferred blood from one to the other, I wouldn't think. So, you know, with it, with it being said that new, new testing and technology maybe could reveal if there was mixture. At the same time, I don't know that I necessarily would expect much mixture other than maybe from the knife that was used on both of them.
2: Lynn says, Is there any inventory of all the items dumped from Agnes's purse? Someone posted what looked like band-aids. The killer needed a band-aid, knew Agnes kept some in her purse and helped themselves. What do you think? I, I'd have to go look.
0: I feel like I remember seeing a band-aid, but that, you know, that that certainly would be in the category of possibly not looking good for debbie i mean i don't think we can make any big leaps from that but if there was a band-aid in the purse that's something that certainly needs to be considered i I, I don't know if somebody confirmed it was a band-aid or if it's just something that looks like one but to, do you know Zach?
1: that I, I don't know but you'd also have to prove that one was missing
0: right yeah so yeah i don't think that you're gonna you
1: know come up with anything groundbreaking from it but it's interesting it's a good catch i mean i think there's a lot of female listeners that could attest to having weird things in their purses such as band-aids and who knows what else
2: right so Sarah says, Do you know yet if you have any autopsy photos in those five hundred unlabeled files? I would be interested in checking Agnes's lividity.
0: I don't. And I and I and I wouldn't expect that. And that and that's nothing negative on the part of the open records request. You're not in in Texas. They have exemptions for anything that shows the bodies nude. And 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 they can even, you know, even even just the bodies with the injuries on them. They don't have to turn that stuff over. The reason we had that stuff from some of the other cases is usually we had like a family member because they they do have to turn it over to family. So like in um, uh, the Melgar case, Liz Rose filed the open records request on my behalf to make sure that we got the entire file because if I filed it, they would exempt it.
2: Jennifer says the lie detector questions asked of Brenda seemed like they were designed for her to pass. She was asked about being there, but not if she knows who committed the crime. Does that seem right? It's interesting the way the question, the the relevant questions were asked.
0: I haven't, and I haven't seen the actual Eric Holden is a, uh, is a highly, like probably the most highly respected polygrapher in the United States. He's very well renowned. Um, so I have no doubt that he, that, that his test wasn't as accurate, you know, honest and accurate, but we don't have, I haven't seen yet his actual report. All I've seen is, is Hardy's, summary of his report but yeah it is weird that they didn't ask do you know who did it it's strange
2: all right well that's it for questions this week thanks everybody for writing in
0: yep thanks everybody and uh, this week make sure you tune in on sunday i I can tell you right now that you are going to be whether you think deb is innocent or guilty i think you're going to be very very intrigued by what dr ambers has to say so tune in on sunday we'll talk to you guys next week where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of free show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach can be found at Z to the Q don't forget that we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions comments and tips on our cases that phone number is 269-224-2833 however you do it stay engaged stay in touch but as for now we're signing off i'm bob ruff i'm zach weaver and i'm mike bussing this has been truth and justice Now you can ask ask some questions, Mike. All or right. I could ramble on for another 20, 25 minutes if you guys, anyone?
1: You had a much better ending point earlier. That's why I was like, ooh, that was good. Yeah. And yeah. he kept going. I'm like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. It's
0: fine.